The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. It's a Thursday. We are doing the live stream on a Thursday. I hope this isn't freaking everybody out. Let's just all relax and stay calm. I assure you, we will give you all of the enjoyment that you get from your normal Wednesday experience. You're just closer to Friday now, and who doesn't want to be closer to Friday here on episode 318? And we got lots to be happy about, in addition to being closer to Friday. Our co-host, an awesome person that we love talking to, Elisa Rock. Doc, how are you, Elisa? Hi. I hope you can hear me, because my cat has pushed several buttons on this mixer before the show. So, hopefully we're we're good. Also, it's Thursday? Am I wrong? Is it not Thursday? Yeah, it's Thursday. No, no, no. It it, it is. I'm I'm just going to have to make some calls. (laughs) It's so good to be here, Ryan. How are you doing? It's a joy to have you here. I'm doing great. I want to tell you a little bit about where my head is at in terms of the content for today's proceedings. I was ready and prepared, Elisa, to talk about some entertainment law news. I was going to lawyer this up this week. Like I was going to be in lawyer form. (laughs) And now I don't want to do any of that because I'm going to tell you what happened, okay? I started watching the hearings for the potential Supreme Court Justice Kintaji Brown Jackson. Yes. And I and, and I don't even want to talk about like the stupid questions she's getting and all that stuff. I want to talk about how unbelievable she is. All right. In terms of like what she's accomplished as a lawyer. You know, first of all, grew up from our neck of the woods. I don't know if you knew that. Went to Miami Palmetto Senior High just what? down the road uh. from where we went to high school. Oh, but she went to Palmetto, though. I know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's hard. Like, I want to root for her, but, I mean, the worst possible school for her to go to. I mean, as as Killian High grads, we can't like that at all. <sighs> but lie. It's fine. It's fine. But, you know, grew up in our neck of the woods. Harvard <laughs> undergrad. Harvard Law School. Clerked for Justice Breyer. Uh, you know, federal court, D.C. Circuit, editor of the Harvard Law Review. And after watching... Uh, producer Lauren just wrote, so did Jeff Bezos, right? Yep. Uh, Jeff Bezos. And I think the surgeon general went, I don't know what's going on at Palmetto high school. Like this <laughs> high school, just down the road. Like we clearly went to like the crappier high school. <laughs> I mean, who, who's the most famous graduate from our high school just down the road. We got nobody. No, uh, Lamar Miller football player. Yeah, that's true. Ida Killian. Jer- journeyman NFL player. Is that, is that the top of the list? Yeah. It might be us dude. <laughs> We are the Kintaji Brown Jackson and Jeff Bezos of Miami Killian High. That's embarrassing. But anyway, the point is, I've been spending the last three days just getting like sandblasted with, look how wonderful this lawyer is. Uh And I'd be lying if I told you it didn't kind of make me feel like crap about my own... Like, like I've actually because I've actually been feeling pretty good about me as a lawyer lately. Got great cases coming in, really learning a lot of great stuff. My practice is doing some cool things, and and I was, I was in a good place as a lawyer <laughs> until Kintaji Je- uh, Brown Jackson walks in, and I see what like actual like amazing lawyers do, and like now I just don't feel like talking about law anymore. Oh, I'm gonna go well, be a farmer. Well, if if this show has taught us anything, then um, y- you will know that that comparison is the thief of joy, and that you should you know to focus on your own law content. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that but is yeah. that is a uh, a thing I try to live by because that is very very true, and it is a good lesson for artists to know, creators to know, because that comparison game is always prevalent in this line of work for creators. And if you see somebody who's a little bit ahead of you or in uh, Judge Jackson's case, 
10,000 miles ahead of you. You can't let that make you feel like crap. No, no. I mean, I mean, hey, you know, leave it to me. You know, I, I, I still, you know, I, I have two masters, a PhD, but because I'm not that kind of doctor, you know, someone's going to be leaning over, you know, when when someone calls for a doctor on a plane, be like, ooh, that could have been you, huh? Mm, couldn't have gotten, couldn't have gotten the right kind of doctorate. I'm like, ooh. No, we always thought you would make a good lawyer. Mom, not now. <laughs> that person bleeding on the floor, but they really need night right now is a qualitative analysis. Like so, so so yes, I I, I absolutely feel this yeah. wholeheartedly. We, you know, over yeah. overachieving and yet somehow so, so I'm not gonna let it break my spirit. However, I have no interest in talking about law because of it tonight. Instead, we got some other great stuff planned. Coming up after the break, excited to be talking to somebody I think you're going to enjoy hearing from, songwriter and NYU music professor at the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music. Michael Errico is going to be joining us to talk about his new book, Music, Lyrics, and Life, A Field Guide for the Advancing Songwriter. As a songwriter yourself, Elisa, I need this. I can tell you, like some of the insights that he has in this book are going to legit blow you away. Because like, it's not it just available for pre-order. Like it, no, it's it's it's, it's it's on Amazon right now. <laughs> Highly recommend checking it out. And there is no shortage of books on songwriting, right? Like you can't swing a cat without hitting one of these things. But his really takes a different approach. Yes, hi Ruby. Uh, at least his cat's joining us on the live stream here. But this book takes a different approach that I think you're going to really find interesting. Instead of just talking to a bunch of songwriters, which he did do. He, it was, he took a multidisciplinary approach. He talks to an astrophysicist. He yeah. talks to an anthropologist to get like that perspective on songwriting, what songwriting means to the world around us. And it's got some great in- advice and insights in there along the way. So excited to uh, hear from him about this book. I know you're going to love it. As a sociomusicologist, a man after my own heart. This is fantastic. I love it. Yes. And that that's going to be great. And so we're going to talk about that but we're not going to talk about law. But here's what I'm also going to talk to you about, okay? Before before this came in, uh, this came in right when I was about to come onto the show, I started watching a video that I want to talk to you about as a musician, as oh a songwriter. This blew my mind. Because you're, this is actually your fault. Because you're the one who turned me on to Adam Neely oh. and got me watching his videos. The people's musicologist, as I call him. <laughs> Did you see the Adam Neely video that he put out recently? Okay, so I will say this. I haven't watched it in full yet. However, just from the thumbnail alone, I was like, ah, okay, perfect. He's got this. Because um, you already knew what this was about just from the thumbnail. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, this is something that it's interesting because I am not a classically trained musician in the classical sense my husband and guitar player evan on the other hand you know literally went to jazz school um and plays in a bajillion different bands and and like we we have different ears um with with sort of you know different uh musical vocabularies and everything but this is a video about a certain harmony present in the background vocals of adele's rolling in the deep that at first, like it kind of like kind of glazed over me a little bit, but then it was it's one of those things where like once it's pointed out, you can't unhear it. And and it's been, I know, sort of like plaguing Evan's ear since the song came out. Cause it's like, it's just slightly sharper than it right. needs to be. But exactly. it but it still works. So the the backing for the for the people who haven't seen this video, the the backing vocals in the iconic Adele song Rolling in the Deep. Everybody knows them, right? Like everybody's got that, you know, like everybody loves the background singers that are singing as Adele's going, we could have had it all rolling in the deep. And you have those background background singers saying, what is it? Uh, you're uh, going to you're, you're wish you never had never met, had me. met yeah. me. Yeah. Here's going to fall. And what Adam Neely talks about in that video, which I didn't even notice in the thousands of times I've heard this song, is the first musical phrase where the backup singers go, you're going to wish you. The note that you think they're singing there is an A flat because that's in the key of C minor. That is that 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 song's in. And they even shows in the video when most people are just like covering the song on YouTube, they're singing that note as an A flat because mm-hmm. that's what it should, you know, one would think if you're just like saying, okay, key of C minor, it's got to be an A flat. But the backup singers sing that first note as an A natural. 
which is a half step higher. Just a little, it's an itty bitty change, right? As Vanilla Ice would say. <laughs> but in the process, you're now taking that note outside of the key. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my my like only taking one semester of music theory ass <laughs> would assume that that shouldn't work. <laughs> like oh, if you sing a note that's a half step higher than the key that you're in, like that should sound terrible. But we can all agree when you listen to that song, it sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's one, it doesn't matter in the sense because it's like it's it's buried enough. Um, and two, repetition legitimizes, as he likes to say on his channel, you know, the more you do something, the more it's like, oh, well, this is clearly intentional and this is just what it's supposed to be, right? Totally. Um, but also considering the subject matter of the song, it adds a great amount of tension to the proceedings that, that otherwise might not exist. I guess that's the best way of thinking of it, right? Is that, you know, it's a song about heartbreak, so you're going to have a little, you know, it's good to have that little bit of tension in there. But once I realized it, it's as you said, Elisa, you can't unhear it. And so once he like brought this into my mind, I'm like, all right, this is clearly disturbing to me. But Adam is going, I'm sure, surely Adam is going to explain to me in this video why this is happening. Like what, what principle of music theory justifies this like craziness and makes it work? And damn it, if by the end of it, he he just basically goes like, I don't know how this works. I have no idea. <laughs> and he's like, maybe. Yeah. And he throws out a couple like weird hypotheses about like blues and whatever. But he's like, I don't know. It just works and I love it. And that just makes me more angry <laughs> because like because it works and I can't begin to understand why. Because, again, I've only done like the one semester of the AP music theory, which is like music theory 101 in college. And all they teach you in music theory 101 is these are the rules. You don't learn Uh how to break the rules until every other class that I didn't take because I went to law school. And (laughs) so it's just freaking me out. It's 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 also I mean, that's that that's a whole thing, you know, that that kind of, you know, different musicians that have to deal with different levels of schooling have to do all the time is unlearning the stuff that is allegedly wrong based on not music theory but you know western european music notation which is what you're taught typically in school which doesn't really leave a lot of room for a lot of nuance and you know cool grace notes and stuff on your kind of traditional scale um so there's a lot of kind of unlearning that you have to do especially when you kind of start playing out with other musicians who are just not they did not go to jazz school. They, they, they went to the school of gigs. Um, and, and you have to like, it's, it's different, even like regionally. Um, I've, I, I found from, from hearing him talk about performing like regionally, like there's different musical dialects and like certain notes that you're going to hear that are hip or not. I also imagine that like not every background vocalist on that track is hitting that specific note. And when it's sort of like, you have a bunch of human voices that are stacked and then because of production are like stacked on stacked on stacked and layered and layered. It just kind of washes over you and creates this wall of sound where like, I think maybe all you feel at that point is, is the tension and maybe hopefully not that this is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's incredible. And it, it just makes me want to like, just grab theory books and just try to figure out, why this is the way it is, why that's something that seems to defy everything I was ever taught (laughs) not only works, but like works so well that if you go and listen to cover videos where they don't sing that note, that's outside of the key, it doesn't feel right. Like it doesn't have that same kick to it. Doesn't hit the same. Does not hit the same. Gosh, it's it's super incredible. Before we bring on a professor, uh, Erico to talk about his book because I I think I think that I think you're going to dig it. Um, I do want to take advantage of any opportunity I can to speak with you and talk about you know one of my favorite things to talk to you about, which is video games. And so I'd love to take some time and just hear about what games you're excited about. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about a game I'm excited about, but you first. Sure. So I have been obsessed and I've actually been obsessed with this game for years since I first saw a trailer for it. I think like maybe up to four years ago um, at this point. And it's finally out. It is a game called Tunic. 
Um, it is by, I believe, indie developer Finji, and it is an action adventure kind of RPG game where you are a very small and adorable fox trying to make your way in a very big world. And if you are a fan of, um, if you are a fan of Zelda, your Link to the Past, you're kind of like old NES, like gold cartridge Zelda vibes. If you were the kind of person who looked up um nintendo power magazines to try and see if there were any tips and tricks for this thing like the instructional booklet and i don't think this is a spoiler but just in case spoilers for tunic potentially ahead um the instructional (laughs) booklet that you create along the way as you explore this world kind of resembles like a nintendo power walkthrough book oh that's clever picking up pages along the way and it is uh it is the cutest thing ever and it's it gives me the like huge nostalgia throwbacks. I mean, they they are not shy about their their kind of Zelda inspirations, but it's the art style is fantastic. This kind of like top down isometric style. Um, the the sound design is really satisfying, even when you're like cutting through grass with a sword. The music is beautiful. It's just this wonderful little world to escape in that just has all sorts of fun surprises, and it makes you feel really smart when you find a new path or figure something out. It's really, really cool. And I highly recommend it. It's great. I think we have some footage from this that we can play on the live stream. I've always wanted to say this hosting a show. Do we have a clip? Uh, Do we have a clip actually? Uh, I think, okay. we, We can just like, let's just have a little bit of footage playing here in the background while we talk about this game. So you were saying it's like the, yeah, see it's a, you know, bird's eye view kind of link to the past style. It's amazing. Uh, RPG. And you are, and you said you're an adorable fox in this game. Yes, you are an adorable fox. I do not, uh, now, granted. Um, oh, look I've, at the tail. It's so cute. I've I've looked up some walkthroughs, and hey, you know what? This is a game where, like, do not be shy about looking up walkthroughs at all, because that's, that's kind of the magic of this game, is that kind of sense of discovery and figuring out... Um, kind of what the language of this world means and interpreting symbols. And, you know, this is the kind of notebook where like maybe if you were a kid and you were playing something like Myst um, or even in kind of earlier days of of big indie games like Fez, um, that would be a game that I would like have a notebook <laughs> next to me and kind of take some notes on stuff. But in in a world where like I think like, like a lot of people, basically everybody on my Twitter feed is playing Elden Ring, and I do not have the stomach for Souls-like games at all. I do not do a Dark Souls. I am too squishy, um, and I am a I am a former like gifted Great kid. Adjective. I do not do well with failure. <laughs> <laughs> and these games are basically built on you failing over and over and over again. But at least like with with Tunic, you find yourself getting getting stronger, and just like the the art style, the music, just how cute everything is, is so captivating but it's not like it's rated e for everyone but it is not a game that's gonna hold your hand either so like it's it's the right kind of challenge for me and it's absolutely adorable and if you have xbox game pass um which i would argue um is one of the best if not the best deals in gaming it is available on game pass so it's like you don't even have to pay for it even though it's only 30 dollars, and i've definitely gotten more than 30 dollars worth of entertainment out of this thing Go download it today. How far into the game are you? I'm not halfway through. Um, I'm just, I'm exploring because there's so much stuff. Like I will, like I, I, I traveled a bunch of places and then I was like, oh wait, there's a shield that I have to get. Oops. And then I had to like backtrack. And basically like I was, I was traversing the game, not realizing that I hadn't picked up some key items. So oh, and, to- and the game will let you like go far without like it's not going to like put up artificial roadblocks to keep you from getting too far without said shield well there there, there is the one boss that is keeping me from <laughs> from any kind of meaningful progress because i'm not strong enough but you know that's that's what the exploration is for and, and gathering resources so that you can kind of buff up your stats and kind of beef yourself up and find new weapons and and new cool firecrackers and and launchables and things to throw at the thing uh, so that's kind of where i am now <laughs> in yeah. terms of of my game progress but i think i'm i'm almost halfway through um but it's it's definitely been a treat to because I'm, I'm also doing a an all shrines run of breath of the wild 
feel free to ask me how that's going next time I'm on the show. <laughs> but um, what makes so something an all shrines run? Oh, an all shrines run is basically when 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 you get. I think I don't know how many shrines are. I think there are like 120 shrines in Breath of the Wild. Oh, or okay. if you have the DLC, and then it's just going through every single one. <laughs> oh, because you don't you don't need to go through all the shrines to beat no. Breath of the Wild, but this Correct. is you doing it to yeah because you're yeah, just the masochist like that. Yeah, don't ask me for Korok seeds though. I I draw the line. That is not happening. I'm not doing an all Korok seeds <laughs> run. But in terms of like game immersion, I haven't felt this lost in a game world since um like Breath of the Wild. Um and and so it's 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 just kind of just beautiful. Beautiful fantasy world, great music, charming. Even even like the enemies are charming <laughs> looking, um, which is I don't know. It's it's fantastic, fun for the whole family. Love it. So it strong, strong recommend on your end. Very very strong recommend. It's it's like it's like I'm not even done with it, but like I'm excited to go play it after the show. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go do that. You want to wrap this shit up early, Ryan? <laughs> not gonna hate you for it. Well. <laughs> I, I feel that excitement because I, I feel like it's bubbling up in me for a different game that hasn't come out yet, but has <laughs> occupied my every thought since they made the initial announcement about this, like I think back in like late 2021, is the new Star Trek Resurgence game that's uh, coming out from Telltale Games. Ah. The, the only date they've given us is spring 22 so most people are thinking it's going to be like a an april may june situation um but it's i i can't i've i've never been more excited for a star trek video game i you know anybody who listens to this program knows that i have a a love for the star trek franchise that is best described as unhealthy it's <laughs> you know i mean to the yeah. extent that i was wearing a star trek uniform during an episode a few weeks back but I've always been frustrated by the video games that have been put out under that brand because they've never gotten it right. They've never gotten what Star Trek is supposed to be because for whatever reason, there's always a disconnect and they think, oh, these Star Trek fans who are obsessed with like diplomacy and ethics <laughs> and character driven narrative, what they want is a game with nothing but space battles and phaser fights. You know, they they want just uh, they want a asteroids in 3D, basically. That's what these Star Trek fans want. And so for 30 years now at this point, whether it's a PC game, Xbox game, nobody has gotten Star Trek right. And I've I've been on the record on this podcast several times saying the only way you could make a Star Trek game that works is it either has to be a Skyrim style or Rockstar Games style mm. RPG where you're like a member of the Federation and you can go up through the ranks and there's, you know, missions yeah. and submissions. But I figure a game like that would probably be too expensive and too ambitious for a, a studio to adopt. And so I've said, well, in the in lieu of that, that would be my, my dream. But in lieu of that, what you could also do that I think would work for Star Trek fans who, again, want the, the ethics, they want the mm -hmm. character-driven narrative, is you do one of these Telltale Games-style games where it's just... A light, you know, a heavy story, light combat. You're, you know, you get to make decisions for that character and the decisions you make have consequences. Telltale is the best at this, right? And so when that group announced, I think it's either them or like the folks affiliated with them, once they announced that they were taking on Star Trek and creating a Star Trek game, it was a hallelujah moment for me. <laughs> and from what I've seen in the game, they're getting it exactly right. You get to portray two different characters and uh, throughout the game, the state, you know, you get to choose from different statements to answer people's questions. Depending on how you answer the question, it affects the personality of your character. It drives the story of the game. You can get a completely different beginning, middle and end, depending on every little decision you make along the way, which is it's a Star Trek in like the the most basic terms. Actions have consequences. And so I, I can't remember the last time I've had higher expectations for a game before, because it's the first time that I feel like game developers finally are going to get Star Trek right. And I, I, this game cannot come out fast enough. It's definitely difficult with licensed properties because you never know, like, 
what the level of telephone game there is being played <laughs> from like IP holder to game studio. Yeah. Um, and even just like what what's allowed to to be used or not used or whatever. Um, and it's it's just hilarious thinking, you know, like, yeah, like some people will just be like, well, this well, this has to be a, a video game. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, clearly, if we're making a video game, this has to be a video game. Um capital v capital g um, is there a i'm trying to figure out if you if, if that's like a boss you've had at any like game uh, developer you've worked at like where like NBA. some texas oil man has has risen to the ranks of like some developer student this has to be a video game this has to be a video game ndas preclude me from going any further than that but um it's it's it is it's so difficult when it's something that you love because the expectations are just so much higher. And then especially with things like Star Trek that have taken so many kind of different twists and turns, but then people kind of seem to forget that like the core thing about Star Trek is just people kind of going back and forth and trying to solve problems. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it, yeah it's, like like the shoot 'em up explosion phaser fire is not what people like about Star Trek, right? I mean, you, you hear it all the time with like some of these more recent episodes of Star Trek on Paramount Plus, where they, they, people say like some of the, the worst thing that's happened to Star Trek recently is that when they went from like the twenty three episode seasons of the Next Generation to the thirteen episode seasons. Every episode has to be filled with action because you're only got 13 episodes. So every episode, somebody's got to die and something's going to explode. And what a lot of Star Trek fans are like is they're like, no, we need the episode where like data doesn't, you know, has to go on a date for the first time and he doesn't know how to talk to humans. Like we need the silly low stakes adventures that make us fall in love with the characters so that when they are in a situation where they are about to explode from phaser fire, we give a damn about it because we've fallen in love with these people. Give me literally Picard doing L.A. Noir in the holodeck. Yes! Give me this. <laughs> give me this. Or, or going on an archaeological adventure in Ryza and wearing like really weird clothes. <laughs> I just what, want to chill in Beta Zen. That's what I'm saying. And and until game developers realize that that's what we want, like basically oh we God. want a Star Trek game that looks more like Animal Crossing than no Mass Man's Effect. Sky. Give me No Man's Sky, but <laughs> Star Trek immediately. Yes, indeed. John Murray, get on that. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm with you on that. So we got we got a lot of games to be excited about. I'm, I got to get back into gaming here. All right. We got uh, Mike Erico joining us uh, right after the break. Don't go anywhere. Keep listening to Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. I, I, try, to, I try to keep it polite. You know. There you go. 
Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, all live streaming platforms, and at our lovely home at SiriusXM 145, wherever you're checking us out. We are thrilled to have you. Let me go ahead and bring on our guest now. He is a recording artist, songwriter, and NYU music professor whose new book, Music, Lyrics, and Life, A Field Guide for the Advancing Songwriter, explores the craft of songwriting and larger questions of what it means to be creative. You can find the book on Amazon, and you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.erico.com. We are happy to welcome Mike Erico on to Break the Business. Hi, Mike. Hey, how are you? I am so well. I am so, so happy. I dig everything that you're doing with this book, and you're an NYU professor, and so that, that obviously resonates with me. Um, although I have a long history of being tortured by NYU professors, but I'm guessing you're one of the nice ones. I, I am maybe to a fault. I hope not, but, um, but I'm close. I, I try to, I try to keep it polite. You know. There you go. Well, I bet you are beloved by your students because some of the stuff that you're exploring is really interesting. And I want to talk about your book here. It is called again, music lyrics in life, a field guide for the advancing songwriter. And it's a pretty interesting exploration of the craft of songwriting, you take it in kind of some unorthodox directions, I think is the best adjective I'd use there. And you interview some pretty surprising people to explore the craft of songwriting, including an astrophysicist. What can an astrophysicist teach us about songwriting, Mike? Well, basically what I what I wanted to do is, of course, I know what's available for everybody, all creators on YouTube. So um, I really didn't want to reiterate any of those kinds of things, but I still want to be entertaining and sort of groundbreaking for them so that they remember stuff, uh, the students I'm talking about. Um, so um, one day I was in class and a, a, student, I, a student brought in a demo and was like, didn't really have a chorus, you know, or didn't have a chorus that repeated. And I was like, you know, I think this chorus should repeat. I mean, that's kind of what choruses do, right? Um, and they were like, why? And I was like, hmm, I, I know that's a snarky question, but it's also an ins incredibly deep question. And I didn't have like a real strong answer, um, but I kind of love science fiction. And in particular, the uh, movie uh, Contact starring Jodie Foster. Oh, where, yeah, man, after my own heart here. All right. right. Well, so the aliens uh, are, begin sending a signal, but they send repeated signals. Right. And that's how we actually understand the signals. So um, friend of a friend of a friend of a friend happens to know Jan Eleven, who is an astrophysicist and an author of a book called Black Hole Blues, where she's actually uh, documented the um, the search for the gravitational wave uh, emanations from the collisions of black holes. OK, so I'm like. So oh, really yeah, basic yeah. rudimentary stuff sounds like <laughs> totally. boring. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, yeah. learn that in third yeah. grade, gravitational whatevers. Yeah, absolutely. So I was like, <laughs> so excited to talk to her. And um, I was like, look, what is this thing about repetition? Like, you know, for we love we, we know that we love repetition in songs, because all you have to do is look at the songs we listen to. Right. Look at the billboard charts. They all have choruses that repeat. Look at things like the search for uh, intelligent life on other planets. What are we doing if not looking for repetition? And she said, yes, that's, that is exactly what we're looking for. Because if something repeats, then we believe that it can control its environment and therefore it is in some way sentient or intelligent, right? So, um, so she starts getting into that kind of thing. And the idea of repetition being a, emanating from a sentient source becomes one of the reasons we love choruses because the writer themselves becomes a, this sentient being worthy of being heard. Right. So it's kind of like that. Right. Um, and, and she said, we look for it all the time. We have been fooled before because pulsars apparently, and I am not an astrophysicist, but pulsars apparently do spin at a very steady rate. And they thought they had found a signal, but it turned out it was just pulsars. But in any event, anytime they find anything that repeats in the universe, they lose their minds, right? <laughs> they run for the hills. They run for, you know, 
the Huffington Post or Daily Beast or anybody who's going to print it, you know. And um, and so what she said, she started to talk about reality itself. She's like, if you think about reality, what is real? And here's an experiment. So she gives me this experiment and she says, calculate pi to three digits. So it's 3.14, right? And she's like, that is true anywhere and everywhere in all of time. Now and into the millions of years in the future, it's always going to be that. That is what is real. The thing that repeats is the thing that's real. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, there you go. So a chorus that repeats proves itself to be real. Man, you are blowing my mind with that. <laughs> I I love that. Because yeah. for a long time, I've I've kind of always wondered that. Like they're, you know, 99% of the songs that we would call hits, if not more have sure. choruses and i love choruses most people love choruses and i've never really thought of a reason why that you know made sense to me but that actually makes sense to me this sort of emblematic of this stronger human desire to find consistency in the universe because we see it as a sign of like intelligence and that something is out there that we can hold on to and grasp that's fascinating to me and so yeah. that explains to me why something like choruses can be a good predictor of something that makes a song a hit, right? If, if something has choruses, you think it could be more likely to be a hit. In the course of your research into this book, are there any other things that you found that are good predictors of what makes a song a hit? Do you see any other consistent threads in studying songwriting? I, I, I mean, there are several, right? And that's actually what I look for because I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not going to sit there and be like, well, here's what's cool, kids. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I, I really don't want to be that person. Um, so what I look for is this is what is always cool. This is what your hit songs shares with mine, my father's, my grandparents, everybody else from, you know, going back to whenever. So what are the consistencies? Yes, repetition is certainly one. There's another thing uh, called melodic math, which is really just also consistency and repetition across phrases, right? As opposed to choruses. Um, and then there's also song form, right? So you get someone like Billie Eilish, you know, hot now, um, innovator, whatever, like, and, and, and she's sort of seen as somehow groundbreaking. But if you look at the song forms, they're very consistent with song forms that precede it, right? She's not breaking the mold. In fact, she's just making the mold cool. And she does a great job at that, right? But like her stuff, you know, Nirvana stuff, Paul McCartney of Beatles stuff, you know, going back and back and back, um, they all share a lot of uh, similarities in the form. So to figure that out and to understand that, um, how form can constantly be innovating, I actually went to Goodyear Tires and I of spoke course. to, right? And, and, and I, spoke to a, right, <laughs> I spoke to a tire manufacturer, um, I, and not a tire, a, a, a woman who designs tires for them. And I'm like, listen, how do you still have a job? It's 2022. You guys have not figured out tires? <laughs> They have been here longer than anything, right? It is the most elemental form there is, and yet you never break it. Yeah. Do you sit there and think triangle tires, octagon tires, or whatever? Are you thinking of breaking the form? And she's like, no, of course, that's idiotic, right? And I'm like, yes, I agree that it's idiotic. But you know, her um, her take on it was that the innovation can occur within the form and has to occur within the form. The form must be upheld, um, but within it, there is endless opportunity and endless choice for something like tire treads, weather patterns, whatever, but in our case, for uh, innovation as in individuality or um, one's own uh, point of view, right? So when I talk to my students, I try to tell them like, stick in the form. I understand that sounds grandpa to, to say, but like, look at the hits that are happening and look at the songs that you love also, because they follow the same rules also, right? And look for the innovation within yourself and within your own 
points of view, the way you say things, uh, the style, the voice, etc. But don't go reinventing the wheel. Literally, don't yeah. reinvent the wheel, <laughs> right? Um, because the wheel works, right? Yeah. Round rolls. And, and so it is with song form. Honestly, I was looking for a spot to make the reinvent the wheel joke and you beat me to it. Ah, <laughs> oh, what a missed opportunity. It's so good. What, what I'm sort of gathering from this is that there may be certain aspects of songwriting, maybe structure or, or as you said before, repetition that are almost universal laws in how to make a song engaging, whether you're writing in the 1950s or you're writing today or you're writing 50 years from now that are not just things that are going to change with trends because they're just so ingrained with what humans enjoy. Are there, are there any other specific things that you might think are more like universal laws of songwriting as opposed to things that can change with the trend? Like is, is verse chorus, verse chorus, bridge chorus going to stay with us forever and ever, or is that something that could change someday? Well, it could, it could change. And I spoke to now I actually did speak to some, musicians and songwriters so it was just um, astrophysicist entire designers for the whole book. right right but <laughs> one guy i spoke to was shane McAnally, who's written for sam hunt and all of casey musgrave's work they, they've all worked uh done all of those tons and tons of hits he's like one of the biggest hit makers in nashville and and he we were talking about like how do, is song form changing is is there a universal thing um there is obviously always repetition but there is increased competition um in uh in the way music is consumed of course and and he referred to it as skip rate which is like basically on spotify you get like seven seconds yeah if you don't have them it's over because on top of that sixty thousand songs are being uploaded per day right so sixty thousand new songs a day you get seven seconds you should count yourself lucky if you get those seven seconds anyway um so shane talked a, a lot about that so there's a lot of power and a lot of uh pressure on the intro and the first line right the first line has to kill right um in order to draw us in even the title before the song is even on right the, the title has to be somehow eye-catching yeah and there was a whole thing about like whether or not spotify and others would allow all caps or wing you know wingdings or dingbats or whatever like all sorts of like symbols and stuff like that to somehow make the um uh make the title stick out or whatever um but so those kind of things the pressure is certainly on those across the song songs are shorter uh, and are getting shorter and the second verse is like uh is uh imperiled right because <laughs> the second I mean endangered species or it, well it kind of is because like so the second verse is a lot like the first right but the chorus is like the chorus so if you go verse chorus and then you repeat the verse again you you might actually bore us after mm. the chorus right so what happens is that, that people like dua lipa or whatever will will pull out these remixes and just throw another person in the second verse. So like the baby or whatever comes out in the middle in, in, in levitating and just takes the second verse. And now we're completely entertained again before the next chorus comes in. Is so that why we're seeing more feature tracks? Yeah. Like in, in like the you know, billboard hot 100 these days. Yes. Well, there's, there are a couple of reasons there's that. Plus there's also the convergence of audiences. All right. Right. So there, there is that, but there's also like the second verse is, uh, they used to call it the second verse curse because like no one knew what to talk about in the second verse, you know, like they maybe felt like they had blown the whole story by the, by the first chorus. Now it's like melodically, if you follow the first verse, that might actually be uh, a problem. That might be a skip moment, right? So what do you, you throw another human being entirely different yeah. with a different audience you know you can picture it like if they're in the super bowl or whatever you can picture just like the smoke and then the new person like walking through the smoke <laughs> and the sparkly microphone and they're all of a sudden the song is reinvigorated uh for some reason just simply by the fact that there's a completely new person separating the first and second choruses those evolutions are interesting to me and they do track with what i've been reading a lot in articles lately about how 
the way that we write songs is changing because of platforms like Spotify and TikTok and the demands they create where on either of those platforms, if you want to, if you want a song to pop, it's got to be great in the first 10 seconds because that's all TikTok is using. And that's all that Spotify is going to give you to be able to draw that listener in and make them listen to the rest of it. So songs are shorter. They have bigger climaxes right at the beginning to hook you in. And so that kind of stuff is going to change the way songs look now as opposed to the way songs looked even 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, it, and it, and it, there is, there is actually an absurd sort of end point to this. Um, a few years ago, I wrote an article claim, uh, talking about Spotify's payout and that Spotify pays out for a song and counts a song streamed at 30 seconds. Right. So my, uh, article which kind of went viral um said why would you write 32 second songs right <laughs> like why bother if that's all you're getting paid for then wow. why would i give you more right if you take a tax i'm from new york city if you take a taxi you pay for the whole trip you don't pay for the first half mile right um try and get a, over on uber with that i mean that's just not going <laughs> to work right so um <laughs> So someone, this band called the Pocket Gods from the UK actually started putting out 30 second songs and they just came out with a 1000 track of 30 songs album. (laughs) And it was all as a, as a finger in Spotify's eye and Spotify, Daniel Eck, the CEO of Spotify, um, heard about it, met with them and have, they have now changed some of the rules about um, Spotify payouts for playlisting if your song is only 30 seconds. So wow. they it's actually changed. So that's like the, yes, songs are getting shorter to maybe to an absurd extent, you know? I mean, we've had other sort of people who have like made, you know, have, have stunted Spotify with silent albums and stuff like that. But like, this is really like, no, it's a song, it's 30 seconds because that's what you pay me. So. Go to hell. As an academic and as a songwriter, doesn't this stuff bother you or freak you out? The fact that what's making a song a hit is no longer just being dictated by what the audience likes and some of these universal tenets of songwriting that you discussed earlier, but rather they're being dictated by uh, streaming services algorithms or the demands of TikTok as opposed to the demands of the songwriting marketplace. What do you feel about that? Well, I, you know, I, I, I totally understand that. And, and there's, there's, I, I get, I split in half because I'm a recording artist and I really love my students and I want them to express themselves artistically. Right. But I also don't want them to, uh, you know, I I don't know, go broke. You know what I mean? So I really do have to go both sides, uh, with them. Um, so I, I, I tell them what, what I do is I, I tell them to do what they have to do, right? Like I spoke to uh, George Saunders, the uh, the author, and he's like, you know, um, a book should be, uh, it should be like what Abe Lincoln said about his legs. They should get to the floor. That's it. They don't have to go any further than that. They just need to do what they need to do. Um, so that's certainly, that's certainly something. Um, but I, I do want them... I do want them to come up with their own stuff. Um, music has always been uh, in concert or in conversation with the technology also. So like, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? That that these that these songs are compressing. I mean, when we had wax rolls and, and stuff like that, um, songs could only be as long as the wax could hold, right? Or as oh. as, as long as the 45 could handle it or the LP. The problem with the LP goes the other way because they had people and they were signing people with one or two good songs, but they had to put an LP out. So you got tons of filler, right? Yeah. Which, which devalued the entire uh, concept of the album. So and this isn't the first time that uh, technology and just the way that we produce, consume and distribute music has had an effect on the way art is created. No, and it's it's that's always the way, and it's not, you know, it's not a, a function of music either. I mean, 
all buildings deal with gravity, right? Like that's, you don't get away from that. And I, I spoke to a painter, I spoke to John Curran about this and he was like, you know, um, Frank Geary did not solve gravity by making these crazy buildings these that look like they're just a loft or whatever. They're, they're all dealing with the same physics, right? And so we all have to deal with the same physics too. Um, but the technology has always been part of what the song is about. Uh, and by the way, it, it the things are getting, you know, can get shorter, but things are also getting way longer, right? Is, is that um, right? Yeah, like Max Richter is a is a um, classical composer. He wrote a song, The Sleep, uh, I think it's just called Sleep, and it's eight hours long, and you're supposed to go to sleep to it, and it will follow your beta waves over the eight hours, right? So that is not possible when you have to get up every 15 minutes and flip the LP over, right? That's I mean, right. So that would not have worked. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so that's available now uh, as well, you know? So... Um, so long story short, I, I try to give both sides to the students and hopefully they will, um, they will come to their own conclusion that is in conversation with the technology that they have to deal with. Um, and some do, and some don't, some are like, go to go away, you know, yeah. <laughs> in, in, in whatever, <laughs> in common parlance, oh. um, I'm going to do my seven minute song, you know, and I'm like, go with God, you know, it's a really fascinating exploration. I'm super intrigued by this. And while we have you doing what you probably do best, which is giving advice to songwriters, I want to talk about another kind of piece of advice, uh, an advice thread from your book that I think is important mm. to discuss with songwriters. And that's talking about journaling. You talk yeah. a lot in your book about how journaling is something that songwriters should do to improve their writing. Can you talk about what this is in practice? Like, what does it mean for a songwriter to journal and why should they be doing it? Well, I mean, the shorthand that I tell my students is that like, if, if writing is a muscle, which it is, journaling is going to the gym, basically, mm. right? So that's the, yeah, that's like the in-class hot take, you know, um, that, that I tell them. But I do think it's really true. And I also, <laughs> I know it's a songwriting class, but I do not anticipate them all being songwriters. So if they're going to journal and the journal is going to stray into physics or architecture or podcasting or law or whatever, um, go with that, you know, but have the evidence trail of, of your, of your deep thinking, your effortful thinking, because you're going to want to follow that regardless where it leads. Right. So what does it so, look like in practice to journal? Well, there are two ways that I give as examples you know, always allowing that whatever the hell you want is, is always a valid choice. <laughs> um, but I, there are two ways. And again, extending the gym metaphor, there's the, uh, the long distance run, which is like three pages a day, right? Whatever that is. And that comes from Julia um, Cameron's The Artist's Way. So three pages a day, every day, rain or shine, hopefully <laughs> indoors. Uh, but, um, that to me gives you an extended thought right that you can really sit in the sprint comes from pat pattison's book uh writing better lyrics 10 minutes one topic go and at the end of 10 minutes pencils down pens down whatever um you and you have to stop uh and the idea of that is uh if you're in a co-writing situation you want to get to the heart of an idea quickly Right. Because you're in there with another person who's like, I need a rhyme for banana or whatever, you know, and like you have to be able to like generate um, ideas uh, quickly and deeply. So that would be a way to train uh, yourself in, as a journalist. And a in both of those person. situations, the the marathon journaling and the sprint journaling, mm. you're writing what just ideas that come to your mind, stream of consciousness. Are you working out like actual lyrics, trying to like make them rhyme together? Are you actually songwriting or are you just sketching things out? What does this look like for a lot of songwriters? This is well, cool. For me, I mean, I what I tell them is whatever. Go. If whatever. it's pictures, if it's pictures, fantastic. I don't know. Um if it's just circles for three pages, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but maybe that actually adds up to something for you. Um, so 
I definitely do that. Um, for the 10 minute thing, uh, they, it's referred to as object writing because you pick an object, right? Like salt shaker, highlighter or whatever. And, and then you go forward with that, with that one idea and into that idea wherever it leads. Like go like a Hiroki uh, Murakami novel, like into a topic. Um, uh, so, so, I mean, those are the goalposts and, you know, a ball kicked anywhere around there is just fantastic. <laughs> you know, I also tell them like, there are other ways to journal. It's not just pen on page. I mean, you could just do it. Like you can do it musically. You can do it lots of different ways. Um, I guess the most important thing is to have the practice of, I can get something from the cloud of bees around my head out some extremity and onto some recorded into some recorded form because that's you can't work without that you can't edit you can't revise you you can't mix certainly you can't do anything uh, unless you can uh make that um uh make that connection fluid our guest is mike erico he's a artist songwriter and nyu music professor his new book music lyrics in life a field guide for the advancing songwriters available now and you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.erico.com. Mike, I feel so much smarter after talking to you. This is, again, this has been the most enjoyable interaction I've ever had with an NYU professor. The rest okay. of them have been quite traumatic for me, but this one's been downright pleasant. I am so glad to put their name in a better light for you. There you go. Before we let you go, maybe it's because uh, maybe I should have went to the Tisch school. I went to the law school. They're all mean oh. over there, but at Tisch, you guys must be uh, much nicer, but, and especially the Clive Davis Institute, uh, right. amazing work being done over there. Before we let you go, Mike, one last question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Yes. Um, I'm going to pull from a book from Emily White uh, uh, about um, how to gain, uh, 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 you know, money from all different uh, facets. Um, and she put it very succinctly and she said, get the art together first thing to do is to get the art together um nothing well she didn't say this someone else said this but like nothing will kill a bad restaurant faster than good advertising right so if you don't have your art together don't promote it right and that can take years getting your voice together can take years i wrote this book but this is the fourth time i tried to write a book and it was not like <laughs> it took years, you know, and there were three other really terrible books uh, before <laughs> before I was actually able to hone the idea and then actually get it and get a book deal and go out and do the thing. Um, the fact that, you know, technology continues to flatten the the uh, ability to basically skewer yourself online with a bad song when you have seven seconds to hear it and there's 59,999 other songs up that day, um, make sure that the art is together. You know, that, that's the fabulous. patience, the, the patience involved in that really is, is very, it's a moment of maturation to be able to do that. Mike, this has been such a pleasure. Please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on the program again real soon. I'm right here. How's Mike Erico, everybody? Again, you can check out his book, Music, Lyrics, and Life, a field guide for the advancing songwriter. It's awesome. And I can tell, Elisa, you were digging on that as a songwriter. I could see you in the green room. You were smiling. You were just, you were vibing with it. You loved it. And uh, you loved his piece about journaling, right? I know you're a big journaler. Oh, absolutely. I have my I have my daily journal and then I have this book, which actually I'm starting um, again to devote kind of exclusively to being a junk kind of songwriting uh, journal. So I'm very excited. It, it feels very, very timely, that reminder. Oh, gosh, that's great. Is there is there anything that he uh, threw in at the end there that really resonated with you? 
Um, I, I love the, the talk about um, artists working within the limitations of technology and the mediums uh, within they're going to produce. It's, it's one of those things where we can lament that songs are getting shorter, but I'm the kind of person who likes those kinds of technological limitations. And I feel like things like six seconds on Vine or like only 15, 30 or 60 seconds on TikTok those are the kinds of things that can provide scaffolding on which you can build your fantasies and, and kind of build whatever creative thing you're trying to build. So I like the idea of, of embracing those limitations and finding freedom within restraint. Yeah. Creative constraints. Uh, you know, you see these things as just another opportunity to be creative, which does not surprise me given everything I know about you. That was a great guest, and I think our guest next week is going to make people uh, pretty happy, too. We're going to be joined by music executive Rusty Harmon. Great dude, super knowledgeable. You're going to want to stick around for that. Thank you so much for our special for joining our special Thursday edition of Break the Business, and we uh, are excited to have you join us next week on Wednesday. Thank you all for checking us out. See you next time. See ya. Break.